Well, good morning. My name is my name is Aubrey. For those of you who don't recognize me, I uh, it just was too much. I couldn't handle it anymore. Uh, Sean Slevin made a beeline for me this morning and let me know that my new name was Ichabod. Um, if any of you know what that means, then bless you. For those of you who were offended, my apologies. Um, for those of you who are now offended, my apologies. All right. Our church exists for the glory of God and the good of the city through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that means that we are a missionary church. That means that every Christian is a full-time missionary, that all of us are in holy orders, that at your baptism, God filled you with the spirit, adopted you as his beloved child, forgave your sins, and sent you out into the world. And so we go out every day as workers, as neighbors, as citizens, and our job is to be agents of flourishing in every sphere of this city. We're missionaries. That means if you're a Christian, every day when you wake up, you wake up as a missionary. And that's hard. It's hard to be a missionary. It's really easy to just be kind of a Christian who likes the benefits, but doesn't really see your identity as kind of wrapped up in being a missionary. Being a missionary is hard. So over the month of January, we've been looking at resources that we need as missionaries. I mean, last week we looked at this resource of prayer that if we're gonna be missionaries, we need to learn to pray, to really grow up in our prayers. And this morning we're looking at the resource of scripture. Missionaries need scripture. This passage that Martin just read to us from Mark's gospel, chapter four, where Jesus tells the parable of the sower. It's a story he tells that's meant to teach us about the Bible. And the first thing we notice in this story, when it comes to the Bible, the key, the fundamental key is learning to listen. And that is so hard. Listening for God's voice, for God's address in scripture. This is the most important issue when it comes to Christians and the Bible. That at its most fundamental level, God is the primary author of scripture. And at its most fundamental level, it does give us information. But over and beyond and more than that, God speaks to us. In scripture, scripture is God's word, God's voice to God's people. I love our Old Testament passage that Joetta read to us. What an incredible invitation to Yahweh's feast. Isaiah chapter 55, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come and buy. That's weird, isn't it? Everybody who has no money, come purchase this. Like, you should at that moment scratch your head, right? Or your hair if it's covered. <laughs> come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? 
This, this is an irony, isn't it? Come and purchase something that you can only purchase if you have no money. How do we get into this feast? How do we answer the invitation? If money doesn't get you in, then what is it? What is it that is the purchase price? The second half of verse two and verse three. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Listening is how you purchase. Come and buy that which has no price. Those who have no money buy which, that which has no price. Well, then how do I do that? And he says, you do that by listening. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. The Bible, scripture, it is God's voice. It is God's address. It is God speaking to God's people. And the way to get that, the way to approach scripture is to approach it with a listening ear, with a posture of receptive listening. So when it comes to the Bible, we have to learn how to listen. God is speaking to us in scripture, and that is not an easy thing to engage with. Listening is hard. It's hard for a whole group of reasons. To begin with, we're numb. We're flooded with this unending stream of information in our lives. And then not only is there just kind of cacophony around us all the time, we're busy. We're so busy. Have you ever been in a friendship or a relationship with somebody? They're so busy, they can't hear you. Have you ever said to somebody, you're so busy, can we just take a moment? See, we're so busy. The busyness of our lives, it, it causes us to not be able to listen. And then there's, there's our educational system. And this goes for homeschoolers more than public schoolers. It goes for private schoolers. It goes for all of us. It doesn't have anything to do with if the word Christian is in front of your education system. The whole Western educational system is built around analysis and not listening. And classical education is worse on it than public education. There's plenty of good in classical education. But at the fundamental core of our education system, we've all been shaped into a way of analyzing instead of listening. Over and over in his parables, Jesus says, let those who have ears to hear, hear. In Mark's gospel, this, this parable that Martin read to us, this is the first time that Mark opens the curtain on the specific ways that Jesus taught about God's kingdom. Mark in this passage, chapter four, he lays out for us Jesus's kind of inaugural sermon on what it takes for you to hear him talk about the kingdom. In fact, in Mark chapter four, he uses the word here 13 times. This is the foundational parable for all of Jesus' teaching in Mark chapter 4. And it opens it all up into you have to learn to listen. You have to hear. How do we get good at listening? How do we become the kind of people who can hear God speak in God's word? so that it comes into the deepest parts of our lives and it really nourishes us and it grows out 
from the inner part of us and it transforms us. How, how can we listen so that like Jesus said, God's word bears fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. In the Bible, there are two keys to listening well. In the Bible, the first critical thing you need to listen well is trust. When it comes to scripture, you have to start, you have to gamble on trust. You have to become like children. We have to approach scripture fundamentally trusting that God will speak to us. And some of us are dead in the water right there. Many people see the Bible as this religious text produced not by God, but by humans just like our Constitution, just, just like our law code or Grimm's fairy tales. And instead of seeing the Bible as divine revelation from God to humans, some of us have been taught that this isn't God's reliable and trustworthy message. We've been taught that the Bible is historically unreliable, that it's scientifically impossible. It's culturally oppressive. It's morally suspect. And its text is corrupt. And these critiques of scripture are very serious. And they deserve full and honest attention. And if, if you have these, do you see... I mean, what if I just said that of my wife, Janelle? Unreliable, corrupt, untrustworthy, oppressive. Could I actually hear her? Do you see that if, if you've deconstructed the Bible, you're dead in the water. And so if you've been taught that, if somehow you've received that, then I encourage you, don't. Don't be ashamed about it. Those are serious questions. They deserve serious consideration. Don't file them away in the basement of your life. Don't just let them exist kind of as the background. Face them full on. God's not afraid of them. If I thought that about my wife, Janelle, I know what she would do. She would look me in the eye and say, well, let's talk about it. Because she's not that. And she's not insecure about that. And she's not afraid of that untruth. Look, if you have these thoughts, of these skepticisms about the Bible, you've got to start there. Find somebody, a more mature Christian, somebody who knows about the Bible itself and bring these into a conversation. The Bible is God's word. So our posture has to be the posture that we would need in order to listen to any person. It has to be a posture of trust. In Mark chapter four, verse 24, Jesus says, pay attention to what you hear with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Hearing God's address in scripture starts with trust. The real presence of God really does fill scripture. It's the fact that the Bible is God's word. This is the seed that Jesus was talking about. In scripture, the father who is in heaven comes lovingly to meet us, his children, and to talk with us. And if we're going to hear the Bible right, we have to gamble on that. Trust is the first key to listening for God's voice in scripture. The second key is silence, silence. 
Listen to this passage from the Bible. It's from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is, the better, is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. What is the sacrifice of fools? The next verse. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. This is a remarkable passage of scripture. This is why we start our services in silence. This gives us the strong warning that we are told to stop talking in order to listen to God. Only the silent hear God. Those who do not remain silent do not hear. Listening begins in silence. You know this. Have you ever had a friend or a family member that talks so much? They ask you a question, and before you can even get to it, they've riffed off into their like topic. Do you feel heard from that person? Can that person actually hear you? Here's how Soren Kierkegaard, he's a Danish Christian philosopher in the 19th century. He wrote a little book on how to read the Bible, and he ends the book with this sentence. The first thing, the unconditional condition, the very first thing is that, that must be done is this. Create silence. Bring about silence. God's word cannot be heard in the hullabaloo. Create silence, exclamation mark, in the book. Isn't this what Psalm 4610 says? Be still and know that I am God. Now, this is tricky because there are different types of silence. The kind of silence we need for listening is not that momentary silence of turning your attention to someone. It is much more than that. The silence required for listening to God is the act of self-emptying, of bringing our whole selves before God. So I'm not talking about simply giving God the pitiful offering of an instant of our attention. I'm talking about relinquishing our arrogance, inclining toward God, offering to him the whole of our being. If not, nothing new will take place. I will have heard nothing but the incessant murmur of my own inward chatter. You see, there is such a thing as a fruitful, hospitable silence. And this is the way we come to the Bible so that the deepest parts of our lives can be nourished by the God who is the source of life. This kind of attentive silence requires incredible effort and patience. It requires repeated, 
imaginative, vigilant attentiveness. And it is so hard. It is really hard to quiet the inner chatter, to gather up our mind and our body, our heart and our imagination in order to offer ourselves to God as a temple of listening silence. But this is what we're told to do in Ecclesiastes chapter five, verses one to three. And if we do this, then then this eloquent silence will become the palace of encounter. And that's what we need. So how do we do this? How do we offer to God the hospitality of a listening silence? So glad you asked. So glad you got one of these at the back door. Please take this dude out. So this is our Lent devotional. If you get it, get one, you're welcome to zip back there right now and we won't notice Um, at least we won't say anything. We're giving you this Lent devotional as a church for the purpose of what I've just talked about. We're asking everybody to interrupt your own personal quiet time habit to do this. Lent starts in just 10 days. So we're giving you a heads up. It starts on Ash Wednesday, otherwise known this year as Valentine's Day. We've prepared this guide with a focus on two things. The two things I've just gone over, trust and silence as the critical components in listening to God. There are a lot of ways to have a quiet time. This is a particular way. It's a way that um, comes from the Catholic tradition. And it's the most helpful way I've discovered for getting still, okay? Um, I want to encourage you to do this every morning. If you're new to this, then look, don't be heroic. Just aim for like 10 or 15 minutes. If you've got a habit of it, then just turn it up a little, maybe 20 or 30 minutes. Look on page six. Here's how it goes. Seven steps, seven phases. First, the hospitality of silence. Remember, so what you do is you get very still. You use a, this is, don't you like my Harry Potter looking candle? Um, I like these beeswax candles because they drip. None of this dripless stuff. Like, what's the romance in that? So anyway, you light a candle. You remember that God has told us, be still and know that I am God. And it's so hard to do that. So here's what we learned from the prayer tradition and the mental health tradition. And this wisdom has been going around the world for thousands of years. Wilson talked about it on Saturday. We're embodied. Our breath and our posture to shape our prayer life, all right? So you get still, feet flat on the floor, um, hands on your lap. You draw in this deep breath. While you're drawing it in, I like to say the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, and then as I'm breathing it out, have mercy on me, a sinner. So use a prayer word, Jesus, Jesus Christ, Father, and you integrate it with your breathing. You breathe in, and while you're drawing it in, you're saying, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, and as you're breathing it out, have mercy on me, a sinner. And, and you've got this candle lit. You remember that Christ is the light of the world, world. And what you're trying to do, and this is really weird for some people, what you're trying to do is you're trying to sink down out of your mind into your heart. This is hard. Um, I mean, our problem is we're, we're head people. We're so caught up in our heads. We're constantly thinking 
There's this video, these chatter. You need to get out of your head. Just do, keep it short. Just do this for three to five minutes. You're trying to relax. If I notice, I tend to do this body scan thing where I feel I focus my consciousness on my head and my, my forehead and just coming all the way down. And if I find a place of tension, I try to descend into it and then give that to God. And then phase two. And, and by the way, just start slow, like two or three minutes. With time, you can expand this silence moment to 10 minutes, but it takes time. It's like exercise. Then you practice the presence of God. This is built around Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice, I will come into him. Look, the key. If you hear. Now, his voice is there. He's speaking. But only those who hear open the door into the heart. Jesus always arrives before us. He desires to connect with us even more than our most intimate friend. So after you've gotten quiet, silent, take a moment to greet God and be thankful. Phase three is freedom. Remembering that there are things God has yet to teach me. I love this. St. Ignatius once said, in these days, God taught me as a school teacher teaches a pupil. This lovely idea that the creator of life who's, who sits before me in this moment, he has things to teach me. And, and so what, what we're doing in this moment is we're asking the Lord Jesus for the grace so that we can hear him and be changed by him. Phase four is consciousness. This is built around Hebrews chapter four, verse 15, where we find that Jesus was fully human and he was tempted as we're tempted and he can sympathize with our weaknesses and that we always have to come to God as we are. And in this moment, we, we connect up with ourselves. How am I doing? Am I agitated? Am I distracted? Am I angry? Am I at peace? However we are in that moment, don't hide from it. Don't ignore it. Don't push it away. Bring that to Jesus like you would want a good friend to do with you, right? If you're sitting with a good friend at coffee and you can tell they're, they're just wound up, wouldn't it be good if they just said to you, hey, I'm super mad right now or stressed or distracted? Like just come to Jesus as you are, but, but find out how you are and, and bring that to him. Tell him that and ask him for the freedom to be able to listen. Then finally, we're ready for scripture. See, this is a different technique than the typical evangelical quiet time. The typical evangelical quiet time, you jump right into scripture. But this is a technique that Catholics developed over many, many centuries that knew you can't jump right in because the hullabaloo, like you got to get quiet, you got to get still. And so you go through these phases and this is an ancient approach. I mean, it is 1,600 years old. It was beginning to be codified. It, it, this goes all the way back into scripture. And now in this moment, we take up and read the Bible. Now we're ready. And I want to encourage you to read it slow. And the best way I know for busy Americans to read the Bible slow is to take your Bible and turn it upside down. And read it upside down. Because... It will trick your mind into staying attentive because it's hard to read that way. And when you read it like this, you kind of read so fast, you can start thinking about your grocery list or something. 
There's other ways to do it. You can do upside down, whatever. But you need to read it slowly and attentively a few times and, and pay attention to what word or phrase or scene catches your attention. And so this is a way of reading the Bible like enjoying a hard piece of candy in your mouth, slowly letting it circulate in your mouth rolling your tongue over the candy, absorbing its flavors. Allow yourself to pay attention to any detail that strikes you. You can use like the Ignatian move where you imagine yourself as a character in the scene and you read it and you you place yourself in it imaginatively and you try to see what you notice. Then step six, phase six is conversation. Imagine that Jesus is sitting comfortably in a chair opposite you. So I sit in my green chair in my office. Jesus sits on the left-hand end of the couch. Imagine Jesus and now say to him whatever you want to say to him. And listen to how he's responding. Pay attention to the feelings that are rising up in you as you pray and talk to him and reflect on this passage. And then phase seven, spend another couple of minutes just being still before God. And finish praying the glory be. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Can you see how this is a whole way of approaching Scripture with trust? It's, it's approaching scripture with an arc of silence. The beginning silence is a, the kind of silence you acquire through disciplined quieting of the inner noise so that another still small voice can be heard. But it ends in the mystic silence where our speech is dumbfounded into the nuptial encounter with Christ. This way of reading the Bible, it begins in the silence of hospitality and it ends in the silence of union in which the beloved and his lover encounter one another in intimacy. This way of reading the Bible rests on the basic belief that sacred scripture is the breast of Christ. That when we turn our attention to scripture, we're like John at the Last Supper, laying our head on the Lord. I'll close with this, our psalm. If you have a Bible, look at Psalm 40, verse six. If you don't have a Bible, it's earlier in the worship guide. It's the psalm we prayed together earlier. Notice what verse six says. Sacrifice and offering You have not desired, but you have given me an open ear. Psalm 40, verse 6. I love how Eugene Peterson, a Presbyterian pastor in Maryland, I love how he translated this verse. It's a good translation. Sacrifice and offering you've not desired, but ears you have dug for me. This is a more literal translation. 
he, he, writing about this passage, he says it's so good. Imagine a human head with no ears, a blockhead, eyes, nose, mouth, but no ears. Where ears are usually found, there's only smooth, impenetrable surface, granitic bone. God speaks, no response. This metaphor occurs in the context of bustling religious activity that's deaf to God. Notice at the beginning of verse 6, sacrifice and offering. At the end of um, beginning of verse 7, burnt offering and sin offering. But God is speaking and he must be listened to. But what good is a speaking God without listening ears? So God Peterson says, gets a pick and shovel and digs through the cranial granite, opening a passage that will give him access to the interior depths, into the mind and the heart. When you read, when I read that, I'm reminded of the book of Proverbs where over and over we're told the fool is the one who doesn't listen. God has given us the Bible as a gift. Jesus over and over talked about the importance. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Last week we saw that if we're going to be missionaries, we've got to learn how to pray. And this week we're seeing that if we're going to be missionaries, we've got to learn how to listen for God's voice in Scripture. And for that, we need to trust in Scripture. And we need to offer God the hospitality of silence. Let's pray.